0: Thank you for joining us today for Tedco Talks, a new series featuring thought leaders in economic development from across the state of Maryland. Join Tedco CEO, Troy lamel Stovall, in thought-provoking conversations with regional leaders about the future of Maryland's innovation ecosystem. In this episode, Troy is joined by Mary Beth Tung, director of the Maryland Energy Administration. Listen now to learn more about Mary Beth and the role she plays in supporting Maryland and D.C.'s entrepreneurial ecosystem.
1: Greetings, everybody. My name is Troy Lamel Stovall. I'm the Chief Executive Officer and Executive Director for TETCO. I couldn't be more happy today to have as our guest to talk today, Mary Beth Tung, who leads Maryland's Energy Administration uh, and I, and I, gotta, I gotta do a little bit of a, a time capture here because uh, the, most of you know we take these uh, and they get released a few weeks later uh, and Tammy and Cassie do a great job of getting them out. But I, I'm, I'm letting you know we're taping this in the same week that we had the, the Continental Pipeline Challenge and, and Mary Beth may talk about that during the time. So I want people to understand that timing when you hear some of the comments that she may make, but I think it's it was a great time and I'm actually happy she's here because when we talked earlier in the week, there was a small probability that she wasn't going to make it because of the pipeline situation. So we think we're glad it's all gotten resolved and people can stop panicking about buying gas and, 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 can, and can get back to normal. Mayor Bath, again, thank you for being with uh, Tech Holder Talks today.
2: Thank you so much, Troy, for having me. And yeah, even yesterday, I wasn't sure if we'd be able to pull this off or not, but um, uh, hopefully by the time everybody sees this, uh, they'll have a tank full of gas and be traveling wherever they want to travel and um, everything
1: will be resolved. So. Gotcha. So Mary Beth is, is uh, we're going to talk a lot about her, but she's a huge supporter of Techco. She sits on one of our boards uh, associated with tech. I'm sure we'll get to that. But Mary Beth, I think I'd like to start this conversation. You are uh, just academically a very accomplished and professionally, very accomplished person. And you've got a JD and a PhD. You got all the D's behind your name. Um, but I think, you know, people need to hear your story, right? People need to understand that journey that you took and the child, a woman with that type of academic pedigree and the professional pursuits, you've been you've been a lawyer, you've been in state government, you've led some organizations. I think um, there's a woman out there who's who's seeing you and they're saying, wow, how do I, how do I, right? Help somebody mm-hmm. see that, how do they?
2: You know, it's interesting you uh, bring up uh... You know, being a woman and and having a professional background, many, many women do not go through your traditional route to get to wherever they want to go. They have families they're raising, uh, they're following what their husbands are doing, or they uh, wind up in roles that might not be traditionally female roles, and I've pretty much had a whole career of that. When I first came into science, um, I got my uh, biomedical sciences degree, my PhD in biomedical sciences, and um, we had a fair number of women in our class, but in my undergrad, not so much. It was mostly men. Um, I remember sitting outside my calculus class, and every single person that came out of that class was male. And I was walking in, you know. So it was. Um, I've been in male-dominated uh, fields my whole life, and so many women don't go through your regular, you know, you you get your Ph.D., you do a postdoc, you do your science, and and that's the route I thought I was going to go. Um, you know, raise your hand, everybody who thought they were going to be where, you know, in high school where they are now, and you're not going to get many hands go up. Right. But especially for women, uh, many, many times we go through a kind of a non-traditional type um, road, route to get to where we're going, uh, where we're at now. So um, I started out the biomedical field. Um, I did everything you're supposed to do. I did a postdoc at Yale, uh, was working in immunology and virology and did a postdoc at University of Rochester, and then the bottom fell out of the grants. Um, There was a really tough funding period. Um, My husband and I were both working at the same place, so we wound up at the patent office, believe it or not. Um, But actually, there's a lot of science that goes on (laughs) there's a
1: lot but there's
2: a lot of signs at the patent office. A lot of science. I, yeah. I, uh, so I worked in the virology and uh, mainly immunology field. Um, uh, uh, they're called art units but work areas um, at the patent office. and you know that's kind of where my interest in law school came in. Right. So I went ahead and um, I became a patent agent, which you can do without being an attorney. So I became a patent agent, and it is a bar exam you have to go through and whatnot. And I remember dancing in my driveway when I got it. And then um, there was a lot of businesses. I was working with a lot of businesses. I wanted to be able to help them with their contracts and that kind of thing. So I went to law school, got my law degree. I was working um, where I met some of the TEDCO folks. I was working with the Howard County Tech Council. Um, I was the chair there for a while. I was on the council for quite some time and uh, that was leading up to my job that I have now. Um, I was an attorney, uh, then I became a patent attorney instead of a patent agent, and uh, helped a lot of clients, particularly in the energy sector. And uh, when Governor Hogan was elected, I was asked to uh, go to the, actually, the Department of the Environment, where I spent a year as a Deputy Secretary there, and then um, became Director of the Maryland Energy Administration. But the one thing that, um, you know, I always tell folks that are beginning their careers, is sometimes an opportunity comes up and it's not exactly what you expected, but look into it and see if there's an interest there and, and go for it. You know,
1: don't turn opportunities down because it doesn't fit in your box that you expected. So as I hear your career, and I know you know we could probably spend the whole time talking just about that, but what I one of the things I take away from is, is path less traveled. I'm thinking of that that book and and that that phrase a path less traveled. You know, and and sometimes it doesn't even look like a path. Look like just like a dirt road uh, initially, like you just said, right? It's it's full like of weeds, full of weeds, exactly. <laughs> and, and so, how did how did you see it? I mean, how did you see that full of weeds trail uh, become a path for you?
2: You take the path, and sometimes the path leads where in areas you're not expecting. And I just learned to bone up on things quickly. Um, I you know. You get in a situation, you're sitting there going, Why am I here? I, you know, all these people around me, I they know all this stuff. I don't. Um, I learned very soon um in my career that you know, you just do your homework and and get up to speed and ask people and learn from your coworkers. And I've had very few people not willing to help me. Almost everybody is is willing to help. So working with folks that um you're gonna be working with and learning from them. You know, The first time you go into something say, I know everything and they don't know anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, First of all, that's, that's not true. And secondly, you're not going anywhere uh, because most of the time when you walk into a new situation, everyone around you knows a whole lot more than you do about that situation. So you just learn, you become a lifelong learner.
1: And, and you said something else in that too, not just a lifelong learner, but you, you have those uh, individuals you can, you can lean on for guidance, for support, mm-hmm. And you said, you know, you're in a male dominance. So that might be that you have to, you may not be able to have someone that can relate to you as a woman, but mm-hmm. you have to find someone who can relate to you as a human being.
2: Absolutely. I've had so many people as my mentors, um, had a lot of Chinese, my last name's Chinese. So um, I've had a lot of Chinese folks, um, some from Taiwan, some from mainland China as mentors. I've had men, I've had women. Um, yeah, it, you There's always someone there who um, can or are willing to take you under their wing and help you out. And I try to pay back the same way Uh, I try to I try to help the younger folks that are coming along, empower them to to bring new ideas to the table, give them credit where credit's due and then help guide them uh, where their career path is taking them. So it's a two way street.
1: it is a two-way street, and I love that. You pay it forward. You, someone has paid you. Oh, I like to say, Mary Beth, is someone has poured into you, so you're pouring in. you got to pour into others because someone has poured into you. Absolutely. you got to keep pouring. So let's talk about the Energy Administration and where we are right now, sitting here on, on May 14th, uh, the challenge you've got. But let folks know what the Energy Administration does. And, and frankly, it's linked to TETCO and this technology, because I think people may not know the linkage that you have personally, but also this is an agency, the linkage to TETCO.
2: I I think um, thank you for that question. And and, um, a lot of folks don't know what the MEA is, the Maryland Energy Administration. Some folks don't even know we're part of Maryland. Um, (laughs) I do work for the governor. Uh, As I said earlier, I was appointed by the governor. I do work for the governor. We are uh, a separate unit of state government Mm -hmm. and uh, much like a department would be. And, um, you know, really it's why are we here? What are we doing? Why did the legislature decide that Maryland Energy Administration was a good good idea? Um, We are the state of Maryland's energy office, which means we advise the governor. We also advise the General Assembly on all energy matters. Uh, Plus we promote um, affordable, reliable, and cleaner energy uh, in and for the state of Maryland. Uh, The why? Um, we are a resource for innovation in the energy sector in Maryland, and this is a tie-in really to TEDCO. Um, we're small, we're nimble, we, we do have statutes we follow, of course, but we, it, within what the General Assembly has given us, I understand that we, we can have that flexibility to allow in, uh, innovation. So um, as the industry is forced to reinvent itself, uh, during a time of unimaginable changes in really response to dwindling resources, climate change mitigation and adaptation and new technologies, we hope to be the focus of change in Maryland. So as you can imagine, we have a dynamic team of smart energy professionals that I still um, learn a lot from. Um, and in addition to our energy policy work um, that we do, Uh, MEA also offers programs that support clean and reliable energy for residents, businesses, communities, and others. And our policy and program teams uh, work very hard together, hand in hand, uh, to support and expand uh, expand all sectors of the state economy from helping businesses and communities realize cost-effective clean energy solutions to supporting uh, green energy job training. It's one that people aren't aware that we do. For entrepreneurs, we say contact us, you know? We yeah, offer yeah. a wide variety of grants um, that create significant energy savings which you can be reinvested into their businesses. We've had companies actually add shifts on because of the energy savings that they've had. So it means oh, wow.
1: dollar, dollar bills, so. There you go. So talk about some of those where, where Maryland, where you see the potential for Maryland to kind of be a leader in these clean energy spaces. Uh, that you see opportunities for, uh, obviously, opportunities for investment for TEDCO?
2: Yeah, um, TEDCO, um, as you mentioned, as a director of MEA, I, I am a member of one of TEDCO's um, boards, the Maryland Innovation Initiative Board. Uh, this board helps move university developed technologies uh, to commercialization. Um, while I'd like to see more energy related projects funded through the MII, Um, I've enjoyed the biotech end of it. Um, I get to go back to my biotech roots a little bit there. Um, And the cyber and consumer products on IT projects uh, with which the uh, MII works and funds. I've been on the board long enough to see projects enter its phase one where they're just getting their boards together and and figuring out their market all the way till they have products on the market. And I really love the entrepreneurial community. They keep you fresh and on your toes as, as you know. Um, While I serve on one of the TEDCO's boards, I I do think that fostering additional partnerships with TEDCO um, on the program level is actually an opportunity for MEA to move Mm -hmm. forward. Um, It's important that we understand the needs of emerging and existing technology businesses. The more we understand the needs of these organizations, the more we can collaborate on policy and program initiatives that can help spur investment. To drive the clean energy economy. And again, as I said, I'd like to bring more energy companies into the mix. Um, One area we can really collaborate, I think, is energy resiliency. Uh, Traditionally, resiliency is often perceived as a matter of critical infrastructure. Often overlooked is the importance of energy resiliency to businesses, continuity, and risk. Um, We have several programs, including our Resilient Maryland program, that can help businesses assess their risk, and that's costly, you know, to to do that, um, and invest in technology that can reduce this risk. Um, There is a lot of innovation that's still needed out there, and now more than ever, really, in the energy sector and in resiliency in general, we're really taking baby steps here, and we need to do more. I think the pipeline issue is is one example um, of some resiliency that's needed for businesses that have relied on traditional energy sources. We need to be leaner, cleaner, and greener, and much smarter, um, and how we intend to build resiliency into our power systems.
1: I love it. I love it. Um, and so we're looking forward to just full disclosure to to the folks uh, that are listening. So I sit on the Maryland Clean Energy Council Advisory. Well, you were supposed to speak this past week, but you had your little pipeline. I, issue. I yes, that's <laughs> right. Well, you that. Yes, you had your little pipeline <laughs> issue, and and I've been fairly vocal that um, I do believe that Maryland can be a leader in this space. I think there is we have uh, we have definitely the academic resources, we have the innovation ecosystem. I think we just got to spur it. Uh, in a way, like what you just talked about and putting some of those pieces together and building that ecosystem, just like we've got great spike in cyber. And I actually think there's a great intersection between cyber and clean energy and some of the bio life mm-hmm. sciences and, and clean energy. So those intersections, I think, are also important that we could take advantage of in Maryland. That others, other others do not I,
2: have. I agree. And, and we have the federal government as well. Absolutely. Um, uh, but the, uh, the cyber incident in, in, uh, recently with the pipeline kind of, <laughs> Absolutely shows what you're talking about is that there is definitely an intersection there, and I know it's something on the tops of the minds of everyone running these systems. And I, I'm I'm glad I'm not a Colonial Pipeline employee because I I know that was they've had a rough week.
1: <laughs> they've had a very rough week.
2: Well, yeah. I, I,
1: but On that point, you know, the the president has has announced. You know, he's put this. He's he's used this, in my opinion, to. Uh, talk about this infrastructure, the need to build more of a more resilient infrastructure, mm-hmm. the need to transition, to do, think some of this transition. Do you see those opportunities of the federal government coming in and also helping us to spur some of these, these clean energy type projects?
2: We do work very closely with our federal partners. Um, we're learning new faces and names with the new oh, administration what's... coming in. Um, we're very, very lucky that a former Maryland Energy Administration uh, employee is now uh, an assistant secretary. Um, of the, um, I, I believe she's in the Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy uh, branch of DOE. So when the pipeline incident first started, the, energy per- the emergency person I used to work with was no longer there. So I shot out a quick uh, text to her. It's like, hey, who's a new person? And within you know, a minute or two minutes, I had the name. So we're very fortunate that we have that um, inside uh, contact that we can start working with them. We also work very closely through the National Association of State Energy Officers or NASIO. Right. Uh, they have a lot of contacts also within uh, DOE and, and various congressional offices and whatnot. So we're able to work very closely with our federal partners, both with them and through them and, and directly with our partners at DOE. So we're hoping with the um, with any continued aid to the states that we're hoping this new round may have some money that we can um, Put towards some of the energy initiatives that we would like to do. So we're hoping we're keeping our fingers crossed. We're hearing rumors like everyone else's. And, and of Got course, it. working with the congressional delegation on that as well.
1: Gotcha. Well, I was going to say the big elephant in the room, the big elephant for you right now is this pipeline. But the other big elephant is this thing called COVID. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and so and I, I, I kind of asked two parts to this question. It's, the first is just Mary Beth, to get, you know, being director, um, just how you've navigated this person, how you've personally navigated these last, what, over a year now in, in, in this kind of new environment. And has there uh, been something fun that you've kind of picked up, or a TV show that you picked up that, you know, that you want to talk about, or some something you picked up that you think will carry you beyond? Uh, we, we get in a post-COVID, actually, we just found out we can now go without masks if you're vaccinated, you know, kind of a post-COVID world that we hopefully are entering now.
2: Yeah, as far as personally, um, I, you know, I've actually been working more hours. I think that I, I know I've been working more hours than I normally would um, in the post-COVID, in the pre-COVID world. So I don't know that I've picked up like any new hobbies or anything. Um I, I have been able to keep up a little bit more. I like to garden. So I've, I've gotten some new plants planted and I'm working on some flower beds. And there so I've go. gotten to do some of that that I wouldn't have been able to do before. I've set up some bird feeders. I don't, I don't have go. time for feeders. So I'm traveling back and forth and stuff. Um, so there are some things that, you know, we've been able to do within our family and whatnot. Um, but as far as the organization um, goes, it's, it's really been quite a teamwork um, effort in MEA. And our chief of staff, um, he, he's an awesome chief of staff. His name is Chris Rice. He'll kill me for bringing his name up, but i, I do it anyway. <laughs> um, Rank has, has its privileges, you know. They, but exactly. Chris often reminds us, let's look for the silver linings. You know, there's got to be a silver lining in here. You know, it's like the kid going through a pile of Donkey droppings, and there's got to be a (laughs) dog in here somewhere, right? Um, Or there's a puppy in here, or whatever. It's it's looking for that um, you know silver lining. And the MEA team, when we went uh, virtual, um, immediately they already had a lot of things that they were working on, and we were able to advance that through the state system because you know anything we do, we have to make sure we have approval for the money, and and so. Forth and get our state partners helping us, particularly the IT department. And um, we were able to do a lot of the things we already had in process and planned to do um, like electronic filing, electronic routing of applications and that kind of yeah. thing. So we've really, um, some of our divisions were able to go virtual right away just because they were out in the field so much they were already working virtually uh, to some extent. So we've had some powerful internal changes that we've made to improve our productivity. Um, and our public user, um, you know, our public user interface with us. Um, our organization pretty quickly learned we could do 100% virtual. Uh, we have uh, a few folks going in once a week to do mail, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, we're able to process grants 55% faster. Um, and, and the staff is now- 65% faster? You said
1: 65%? Faster. You,
2: you heard wow. that right. Yeah. <laughs> It's inspired us to look into even more efficiencies. And anybody, um, I'm a big believer in lean. I, I, I'm sure you're familiar with lean. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring lean to MEA, but I didn't need to because they were already doing it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and lean is um, folks who are actually doing the work. Sits there, uh, they, they sit together and they figure out where the inefficiencies okay. are, the handoffs that don't need to happen, the multiple signatures and all that. Well, yep. our folks were doing that. So now that we had to do everything virtually, they all got together and we were able to get rid of those pain points. Um, we've expanded the ability for applicants to purchase, uh, to apply online. We've purchased some really basic IT equipment that would help us do. Our I mean, really basic stuff that we could do without before, but now we've got it. We're going to continue using it. You know, um, we we're also very flexible on uh, you know ch- employee childcare because the kids were all home. Sometimes we would be getting emails at midnight, you know, I'm like, oh, these poor folks aren't sleeping at all. But we were much more flexible. Um, and as we go back to a more regular schedule, that flexibility, A, won't be as necessary. Um, but B, you know, it's, it's, you know, we have certain hours we have to be in the office, but we've been able to stay flexible and still get our work done. Yeah. So I'm hoping the, we and can and build some of that flexibility in.
1: That's, that's an amazing stat. I mean, it sounds like the COVID has helped you be more efficient. Uh, and find a way, but but you, your beginning of this was what I'm struggling with, many folks are struggling with is how do you turn it off? You know, I'm just, a am like you, I'm I'm here in my home office, I'm just a few feet from my living room, from my kitchen, you know, my bedroom's upstairs, and you know, the computer is, all, is always available, it's, 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 we yeah. don't have that commute time, we don't have that off and on time, and so one of the things we're asking at TEDCO is, one, we need to find a way to give people that time back, they shouldn't have to right. work like that, that's one, but, Absolutely. You know, what's the nature of work in a post-COVID? I think we have to ask ourselves as managers, as mm-hmm. leaders, what does work really look like in the post-COVID? I'm, you know, your agency is different than mine, but we didn't have to be in the office five days a week. and I don't think we're going to be in the office five days a week going forward. So, but how do you create a sense of community amongst the workers, particularly to your point across cross-unit, while still allowing people that flexibility to work where they need to work?
2: Um, obviously, we've got a little bit, we've got folks we report to um, who set the rules for state employees, so we, we still have that. Um, one thing that I was, I tried to be very careful, and, and I know, uh, Chris, our, our, um, our chief of staff has also been very careful to watch what was going on, and I know our managers are all doing that as well, is making sure that people are getting that life-work balance because as you said, the computer's always there. it's on your dining room table or wherever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the senior management level, on Friday, we have um, a kind of a recap at the end of the week, and it's like, you know, this is recap. Go start your weekend. Um, I think a lot of the um, supervisors are doing that with their teams as well, mm-hmm. um, and also keeping tabs on everybody. It's so hard when you're disseminated. it's somebody getting depressed? is somebody struggling, is somebody sick, is somebody, you know, we've had a lot of family stuff going on amongst our team. You know, uh, some folks have lost uh, parents or brothers or sisters. And, you know, some folks have gotten married, some folks have had babies, you know, we've had all the the life stuff is still going on. Uh, And so post COVID, how do we keep those silver lining parts of what has happened um, and then move forward with more of a, um, Hybrid work, um, you know, uh, remote kind of situation. Oh, no, I
1: so I look forward to hearing how you play it out, and you know, obviously we will share with you what we do. Um, yeah. One one last thing I want to I want to explore with you, and kind of goes back to the beginning. You know, you know, being a woman in in a in a in a science. I'm, I mean, I'm an engineer, computer scientist by training. So being the only woman, I've had the same. Being the only black person in in the room, um, uh, and and so, and, and as, I, as I joined the uh, the Energy Council the advisory, you know, one of the things we talked about is as we think about all these things to do with energy and think about how do we make sure that we're including those who have been excluded uh, historically. Um, and, and so talk a little bit to our audience about how you're thinking about making sure that what we do doesn't leave anyone behind, but also doesn't uh, put, you know, the, the big coal plant right next to, you know, the, the, the people of color community.
2: So I think there's two parts to that question. One is what we're doing within our organization um, for inclusivity. And the other, of course, is in the community, what are we doing for inclusivity? And we have, um, there was one guy that I, had, I approached him and I felt kind of embarrassed doing it, but there's an organization and you're probably familiar with the Blacks and Energy. Mm-hmm. And I approached him, he's an African-American um, program manager on our team would you like to be involved in this? And I kind of felt embarrassed doing that, you know, because it's like, well, I'm going to pick out the, at that point, he was the only black program manager we had. And, um, he, he jumped at the chance and he's, it's been an amazing, amazing, uh, partnership with our agency and all those contacts that he's been able to make. And so we've reached out, um, at HCB, um, HBCU, um, job fairs and, and that yeah. kind of thing. Trying to let, because when I was back in the technology days, you know, the uh, Howard Tech Council days, trying to get young people in general into interested in STEM is very hard. Mm -hmm. You know, the classes aren't easy. And, you know, quite frankly, sometimes they're made to be boring. They're not boring classes, but they're they're taught that way. Uh, But getting minority uh, students involved uh, and interested is even harder. Mm -hmm. And women as well. Yep. So we've been trying to work uh, through that somewhat, uh, trying to get out there, letting people know that energy is cool. It's a great job to have. And he has made the same comment where a lot of times he's the only black person in the entire room. Energy does not attract uh, African-Americans in large numbers. And I've noticed it myself. i walked in like I've never seen so many white people. <laughs> it's a whole room a white people right? So it's obviously something we need to work on. So, um, we've always encouraged um, a good level of open dialogue uh, for staff with each other, managers, and with me directly. Um, but, you know, obviously, as I said, it's an area we all need to expand on. We have quite a few African American employees now in, in our um, agency at all levels. Um, our policy team, we've got um, several PhDs uh, who are African Americans uh, on our policy team. We actually have three PhDs out of five. Um, on our policy team and the other two are attorneys. So we've got a really good policy team. Um, some of our, uh, our I think are almost our entire finance team, um, including our accounts, everybody is African-American. So, and, and we're working on the program end of it as well. So we're working internally, but as far as communities go, it's really, um, that is something we've been, we've been trying to do this for years before it became popular. Uh, We have a low and moderate income program. We've been working on uh, equity issues for placement of, you know, um, power plants, not so much the big smoke belching ones, Um, but trying to get uh, solar. We've got the first in the country really well organized um, community solar program. So folks that might not have the rooftops or the money to invest in solar can still benefit from it. So it's something that we've been trying to work on all along. But now that it's a little bit it's it's in the front of everyone's minds of something we need to do yep um, it's i'm hoping that we're going to be able to do a whole lot more in that in in that arena than we were even able to do in the past
1: you know my, my thing on energy you know there was a time when you, you if you were energy conservationist, you were called a tree hugger you know you were a tree hugger you, you know who who you were crazy. But now that it's become an imperative with companies can see how they can actually make money, they can create different market conditions. There is an, an embracing of that and same things happening with diversity equity inclusion, where that was kind of the somebody's job in HR. It's now become, you know, a, a senior level position at many places, because, again, they see the economics attached to that. Is that you you have the same observation.
2: Yes, I, I do. And honestly, I like, I like to hear everyone's opinions and, and where they're coming from. We have six or seven countries represented in MEA. Um, wow. and, and having folks from all over the world come in, and, and um, one gentleman was involved in, as far as education, of uh, establishing solar in African countries, which have no other means in those small rural communities, of getting power. Yep. I mean, solar's perfect, you know, in a country that gets a lot of sun, you know. Um, so there, there's backgrounds we have in our agency that it's just so very, very helpful. And, and you're right, it, to get that difference of opinion and I want the best person for the job. I, you know, I don't, I don't care. And I, I can't imagine anybody would care um, the color of someone's skin, because I want the best people. Man, I've got quite a team.
1: I've got a, quite a team. Well, like you, do, you, sound like you, you sound like you do. Well, look, Maribeth, I have Julian and Joe. We could have kept on talking. You have an amazing I know, I career, know. An amazing, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your support of Tedco and, and the work that you do with uh, with MII. Uh, continue to be, be who you are. Continue to fight the good fight. And I really do appreciate what you do and who you are and more importantly who you are.
2: Thank you, Troy. It's been a pleasure uh, talking to you today and I really, we have not been able to meet in person because of COVID. I <laughs> so I really it's look coming. forward to meeting you in person and um, and and working with you as we go forward. So thank you very so, much for having me.
1: No, thank you. I tell people uh, I, I actually um, I'm not an avatar. I actually am a human being. So I'm coming out of my avatar state and, you know, becoming a 3D person state. So that's what I'm doing. I like that.
2: I'll have to often remember
1: that. <laughs> thank you again, Mary Beth. To our listeners, Again, continue. I, I can't express to you how much I want to thank you all for the comments and, and the look and listening to to Techco Talks. We really appreciate it. Tammy and Cassie, thank you for the work you do in making this all happen. Uh, so this is again, Troy Lamel Stovall with Techco Talks. See you next time. Thanks a lot.
0: Thanks again for listening and a special thank you to our guest, Mary Beth Tong, for joining in today's discussion. For more information on TechCo and its activities, check us out at www.tedcomd.com. If you enjoyed today's discussion, consider sharing and subscribing to Techco Talks.